Hello, Earnings Call listener. My name is Hadi Youssef. I run this earnings season podcast, but I also run the Borster Earnings Call mobile app, and that's what I wanted to quickly tell you about today. We've created a dedicated app for listening to earnings calls. What I mean by that is that we've basically created the Spotify for earnings calls. Our app lets you add any company to your watch list. You can download any earnings call to your phone. You can set notifications for specific companies for when a new call is available. You can also see the exact date of the earnings call. And if there is a company that isn't on our app yet, you can request a company within our app and we will promptly add it. Making earnings calls easy to access is something that I care a lot about. It's why I created this earnings season podcast. But obviously, we cannot add every single earnings call that gets published on this podcast, or else you'll be having hundreds of episodes every week. And so, we've created a dedicated app where you can go and pick and choose the exact earnings calls、uh, you're interested in. And what we post on this earnings season podcast are basically kind of the highlights or the most notable earnings calls. But in the show notes of this episode, I've included a video demonstration where I walk you through all the features that I just described for our app. And I also included the link to the App Store where you can go there and see the description of the app and the reviews. You know, I'm really proud of the feedback we've gotten from our users. And,、uh, you know, pleasing and satisfying our, our users and our customers is, is something that I、uh, take pride in. And, and as a team, we、uh, really pride ourselves on that. And so, I don't want to take more of your time and, and keep you from listening to the earnings calls you've selected today. So, without further ado, here is your earnings call. Good morning, and welcome to the United Health Group first quarter 2019 earnings conference call. A question and answer session will follow United Health Group's prepared remarks. As a reminder, this call is being recorded. Here is some important introductory information this call contains forward looking statements under the U.S. federal securities laws. These statements are subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from historical experience or present expectations. A description of some of the risks and uncertainties can be found expectations. A description of some of the risks and uncertainties can be found in the reports that we file with the Securities and Exchange Commission, including the cautionary statements included in our current and periodic filings. This call is also referenced non GAAP amounts. A reconciliation of the non GAAP to GAAP amounts is available on the financial reports and SEC filings section of the company's investor page at www.unitedhealthgroup.com. Information presented on this call is contained in the earnings release we issued this morning and in our Form 8K dated April 16, 2019, which may be accessed from the investors page on the company's website. I'll now turn the conference over to the Chief Executive Officer of United Health Group, David Wickman. Good morning, and thank you for joining us. Today, we reported a strong start to 2019 with revenues up 9%, adjusted earnings per share growing 23%, and return on equity of nearly 27%. Optum and United Healthcare each contributed fully to this performance. With confidence and continued momentum, we are raising our earnings expectations for 2019. The continued growth and earnings performance of our business is a byproduct of our focus. On providing exceptional returns to society by improving healthcare affordability, outcomes, and the patient experience, what some refer to as the triple aim. This orientation frames our growth strategy, informs capital allocation decisions, and shapes the operating plans for United Health Group's businesses, all directed towards attaining the promise of our mission. 
It's that same mission, strategy, and approach we have pursued since 1998, when United Health Group was well less than a tenth its current size, and when our strength and aligned capabilities and capacities did not nearly match our ambitions for the health system as they do today. Over that 20-year time period, United Health Group has applied competencies in data, technology, clinical insights, and well-formed innovation and adaptive traits to drive change and grow strong market positions in the large and fast-growing healthcare and market. Our outlook for growth continues today as the pace of innovation and our capacities for change advance in a market restless for achieving improved value, access, and coverage in a sensible and durable way. The first quarter saw several developments illustrating some of the strongest progress yet on this journey, which we expect will build considerable shareholder value. In pharmacy care services, OptumRx announced that point-of-sale dis consumer discounts on branded pharmaceuticals will be its fundamental approach to business. And United Healthcare is well underway implementing point-of-sale discounts at scale for the more than 8 million consumers covered through its commercial risk business. At the counter, people are already saving about $130 per eligible script. And we are prepared to participate in the CMS demo project for Part D effective January 1, 2020 to drive great, even greater pharmacy value for more people. In digital health, our initiatives are accelerating. We completed beta testing of the individual health record physician platform and have built over 5 million active consumer health records. Simultaneously, our enhanced Rally Consumer Digital Health Platform now integrates digital engagement, coaching, telemedicine, and incentives with quality and advanced cost transparency and estimating capabilities. We provide access to both proprietary and third-party services in areas such as exercise, weight, sleep, employee assistance, nutrition, and other value-based programs. In its initial 1 million member deployment this year, the enhanced rally ex experienced a 13% increase in consumer engagement. We expect those numbers to further advance as the IHR and other functionality are added. As part of our strategy to reinvent healthcare delivery, we apply Rally and the IHR together with OptumCare's Care, practice capacities to advance efficacy and value. We are progressing toward the close of the DeVita Medical Group transaction, and we look forward to adding more markets, more doctors, and clinical staff serving more patients. And we continue to modernize the financing of delivery systems, whether they are owned by Optum or accessed through more modern United Healthcare benefit designs across all market segments. These benefit designs will be more consumer responsive and address social determinants of care, especially for those who are most affected and who have the greatest and most complex needs. Nearly 80% of what influences a person's health relates to non-traditional medical and behavioral issues such as food, housing, transportation, and healthcare finances. Improving care for society is be standardized how data regarding critical social and environmental factors is collected, processed, and integrated. Nearly two dozen new ICD-10 codes will be used. Nearly two dozen new ICD-10 codes will be used to trigger referrals to social and government services to better address people's unique needs connecting them directly to local and national resources in their communities. Finally, our net promoter scores continue to advance meaningfully in the first quarter, 2019, 
as we march towards an aggressive target of 70 by 2025. The people we serve will benefit as we advance quality and value, and in turn provide growth and returns for shareholders. Before I ask Andrew Widow to update you on Optum, I know there's been published first through the prism of our mission puzzles. We view the discussion first through the prism of our mission and how individuals can be better served and the health system can work better for all. From that perspective, we welcome the contrast between these proposals and the kind of real progress we're talking about on this call and discuss with you at our November conference, founded on durable and modern information, technology, and clinical capabilities. The wholesale disruption of American healthcare being discussed in some of these proposals would surely jeopardize the relationship people have with their doctors, destabilize the nation's health system, and limit the ability of clinicians to practice medicine at their best. And the inherent cost burden would surely have a severe impact on the economy and jobs, all without fundamentally increasing access to care. The path forward is to achieve universal coverage, and it can be substantially reached through existing public and private platforms. Meaningful progress in healthcare lies in national and state leaders continuing to work collaboratively with the innovative and proven private sector solutions to achieve the goals we all want a modern, reliable, informed, and aligned healthcare system that offers the access, choice, and coverage protections people seek at a fair cost to the individuals and society as a whole. Together, we need to operationalize real changes that promote an interoperable, secure digital infrastructure, allowing information to be shared securely and widely so proper clinical decisions can be made and acted upon by qualified Changes that eliminate unnecessary and costly regulatory frameworks and taxes, that address underinvestment in social determinants of health, and changes that encourage people to take accountability to modify lifestyle behaviors that drive a significant percentage of their lifetime healthcare needs. The best system is one which is informed, engaged, and aligned, where people, their doctors, and the private and public sectors work together to improve or sustain individual health while improving the performance of the health system for everyone. We are encouraged to see the United States is on an improving path. For 16 straight months, healthcare's relative economic burden on society has lessened. While recent year-over-year -year spending growth at just over 4% is still too high, it has lessened considerably due to the better management of price inflation and the earlier and more effective management of care in lower cost settings. The progress and ideas we have and we'll discuss further today, we'll take healthcare to an entirely new level of quality, cost, choice, and coverage in a proven and lasting way, ensuring the U.S. health system better serves and supports all Americans. Now let me turn it to Andrew Witte, CEO of Optum, to discuss Optum's focus, strong operating and financial results, and growing forward momentum. Andrew. Thank you, Dave. Our next chapter involves accelerating digital, transforming pharmacy care through OptumRx, and reinventing healthcare services through Optum Care, while aligning all of Optum's resources to better serve patients directly and supporting the work of physicians, hospitals, and health plans who also serve them. Primary care represents well under 10% of medical costs, but has a profound influence on the other 90% of the cost and quality of care. Within Optum Health, we offer densely arrayed local care options built on a foundation of owned and operated primary care alongside aligned networks, together improving how the health system is accessed and used downstream. Today, 
We serve millions of patients across approximately 80 health plans and payers. And this year, virtually every local optum care practice will participate in advanced value-based care arrangements. Our clinical team continues to advance performance with our physicians delivering better quality outcomes, with 99% of seniors served through advanced value-based arrangements receiving a star rating of four stars or higher, delivering lower costs, with practices serving Medicare Advantage participants costs, with practices serving Medicare Advantage participants at as much as 30% lower cost than original Medicare, and 10 to 15% lower than typical Medicare Advantage, and with higher satisfaction, with an MPS of just under 80. In addition to primary care in local communities, we own and operate surgical care centers, neighborhood urgent care centers, community pharmacy dispensaries, and in some markets, hospitalist and specialty and ancillary care capabilities, such as office-based infusion of specialists. For example, our new Optum Care Cancer Center in Nevada takes an integrated, multidisciplinary approach to providing patient-centered care in a professional and compassionate setting. This outpatient program delivers integrated medical, surgical, and radiation oncology, chemotherapy, and immunotherapy, imaging, palliative care, and 24-hour oncology urgent care. This is one of the ways we are exploring value-based specialty models that uniquely align to our primary care and ambulatory capabilities, grounded in a physician-led culture of evidence-based medicine and enhanced by academic and community partnerships. All of these services produce better outcomes than outdated and costly facility-based alternatives and generate high MPS because the patient experience is distinctively better. We are accelerating the process of connecting these elements to create informed, comprehensive, open market care systems, seamlessly supporting the patients we serve, all on a fiercely multi-payer basis while supporting physicians seeking to operate practices at their fullest clinical capabilities. Our journey of adding and enabling new locations to extend reach while deepening our clinical offerings will continue to improve our impact for years to come. We are architecting a more broadly informed, engaged, and aligned healthcare system, one that responds better to consumer preferences while easing the burden of healthcare on society. This quarter's growth in revenue per consumer served 14% over last year indicates we're taking responsibility for more of a consumer's health and serving them more deeply and comprehensively. On March 12th, OptumRx extended our leadership on negotiated drug discounts by announcing that we will only serve new employer-sponsored pharmacy benefit businesses after January 1st, 2020 that provides consumer discounts at the point of sale. This replaces the current system in which employers typically elect to flow rebates back to all plan participants to lower their premiums. Benefits of this new approach are clear. Our data shows patients' prescription adherence improves up to 16% depending on plan design, and we know patients' health ultimately improves when they follow physicians' orders for drug regimens. This approach has been proven to achieve medical cost savings of up to $300 per member per year, and we have received strongly positive feedback from employers, employer coalitions, industry observers, regulators, and policy leaders. We're also seeing strong response to PreCheck My Script, 
which offers care providers instant information on efficacy, cost, and alternative drug choices directly within the physician's workflow. Nearly 150,000 physicians are using this technology now, up 77% since December. Our near-term plans for pharmacy care services remain focused on achieving the highest quality outcomes, the lowest net cost of drugs for patients, and the best patient experience. The lowest net cost of drugs for patients and the best patient experience. Market response continues to be outstanding. 2019 was a good sales year for us, and with robust RFP activity and a couple of significant wins already, 2020 should be even better. Optum Insights, the technology and analytics engine of our enterprise, continues to provide our customers strategic insights to improve health system performance. We're in the process of launching newly developed services and technology offerings with our state customers. These end-to-end -end approaches use advanced technologies to modernize traditional Medicaid administrative offerings, including the comprehensive integration of cutting-edge Optum analytics services and capabilities of these state-administered offerings. As Dave mentioned, in consumer digital health, we've started beta testing the consumer version of the IHR and envision a stage deployment starting around mid-year. We also studied the impact of deploying the IHR for people in the Medicare, Medicaid, and commercial markets and found better outcomes, lower costs, and improved patient experience. When placed in the hands of a qualified, high-performing doctor in a value-based system, the IHR meaningfully reduces healthcare costs. In a similar vein, on March 28th, we launched the consumer version of the PreCheck MyScript technology called MyScript Finder. Rally now has over 24 million registered users, having grown adoption by over 2 million people in this quarter alone. Consumers earned a record $200 million in rewards in the first quarter demonstrating the $200 million in rewards in the first quarter, demonstrating their high engagement. And forward-thinking employers have made more than $1 billion in annual awards, rewards available to people for taking actions to improve their own health. Our software engineers are now building digital payment and physician office visit scheduling capabilities and applying artificial intelligence and biometric data to improve post-acute patient recovery and reduce hospital readmissions. Rally and platforms like the and digitally enabled health systems, particularly when coupled with rewards and support tools that enable physicians to more effectively manage their patients at scale. Turning to Optum's financial results, first quarter revenues of $26.4 billion grew 12%, led by Optum Health, growth of 17%. We added 7 million adjusted scripts, achieved 14% growth in backlog, and now serve 2 million more people at Optum Health. Optum's operating margin of 7.1% expanded 10 basis points over last year's first quarter, contributing points over last year's first quarter, contributing to 14% growth in operating earnings to nearly $1.9 billion in the quarter. These results illustrate our steady momentum as customers respond to the innovation, insight, and the value that Optum provides. Now I'll turn the call over to Steve Nelson, United Healthcare CEO. Thank you, Andrew. The market is responding to United Healthcare's practical innovations, personalization, 
and service performance on behalf of those we serve. Within just the past quarter, we've been awarded contracts to serve Medicaid beneficiaries in North Carolina and Arizona, and again drove strong growth in serving people in Medicare Advantage and dual special needs plans. Our innovative Navigate for Me service addresses the personalized, holistic care needs of our senior population. Medicare Advantage seniors with complex health issues like diabetes, congestive heart failure, or multiple chronic conditions receive concierge service from nearly 1,000 dedicated experts. Each serves as a single point of contact for their seniors. Our navigators provide support for clinical and administrative needs, help patients follow their personalized care plans, coordinate care, and address social determinants of health. Key to delivering this flexible personal service is a proprietary technology platform that supports navigators with integrated data, analytics, and information specific to each patient. And the results have been impressive. Well, with congestive heart failure, reduction in hospitalizations for people with congestive heart failure, and overall, a 19-point increase in NPS from patients who receive our direct support. We are also better coordinating medical services through locally organized systems of care, highly capable of physical, digital, and virtual care delivery. Our data shows that seniors in our Medicare Advantage plan see, on average, about one-half the number of doctors as similar seniors using original Medicare. This means a simpler, less confusing experience and better outcomes for patients and better use of scarce health incidents as seniors are enrolling in private Medicare plans at a record pace, with one private Medicare plans at a record pace, with one-third of the nation's seniors served today by the private market. Collectively, Medicare Advantage plans provide significant savings and invest those savings in superior benefits not available under original Medicare. Medicare Advantage fills in the significant gaps left by original Medicare, including coverage for pharmacy, dental, vision, hearing, and personal wellness and fitness needs. Again, none of them are covered by original Medicare. This is state Medicaid programs, where states are increasingly asking the private sector to take responsibility for the care of their most complex and chronically responsibility for the care of their most complex and chronically ill beneficiaries. Managed care has a track record of reducing costs by better coordinating care for these people while helping them become healthier. Looking at our first quarter financial performance, United Healthcare's revenues grew 8% to $48.9 billion, serving three quarters of a million more people domestically with medical benefits in the quarter, led by growth in Medicare Advantage and in serving self-funded employers. United Healthcare's operating earnings grew 23% over last year to nearly $3 billion in the quarter, with operating margins expanding 70 basis points to 6%. We are hard at work on enabling our business for future growth. In Medicare Advantage, we believe we are well positioned to advance our market share. Further implementation work for recent Medicaid awards is in progress coupled with our strong activity in the commercial, group Medicare, and global markets, we expect to continue to drive 
sustained and diversified growth. Now I'll turn the call over to United Health Group's Chief Financial Officer, John Rex. Thank you, Steve. Our initial quarter for 2019 positions us well to deliver on our full year financial commitments. To recap, revenues grew 9.3% to 60.3 billion, even after considering the negative 1.4% impact related to the health insurance tax deferral for 2019. In the first quarter alone, this deferral helped improve affordability for the people we serve by more than $700 million. This tax adds billions in cost to the system and constrains access and benefits for Americans. We continue to advocate and are hopeful for its permanent repeal. In the quarter, the more than $5 billion revenue increase was led by same-store growth, well-balanced across our benefits and services platforms. Medical cost trends continue to be well-managed and consistent. Our view of forward trends and our first quarter medical care ratio of 82% continue to send plus or minus 50 basis points. Favorable reserve development of 300 million was consistent with the year ago level. And medical payables at 49 days were all level. And medical payables at 49 days were also stable with the year ago level. Earnings growth in the quarter was also driven by improvements in our operating cost position. Well, the health insurance tax deferral lowers the operating cost ratio. Beyond this factor, strong improvements in productivity more than offset our ongoing investments to drive growth for the future. We will continue to pursue such investments as our focus remains firmly on the decade ahead. Overall, operating margins expanded 70 basis points over last year to 8%, and first quarter adjusted earnings per share of $3.73 grew 23% over last year. First quarter cash flows of $3.2 billion were consistent with our expectations, recognizing that comparison with last year is affected by the health insurance tax deferral. Recall that reported cash flows were elevated in the first three quarters of 2018 by collecting the health insurance tax from customers over the course of the year, and then impacted in the fourth quarter by the $2.6 billion payment to the U.S. Treasury. Additionally, we would note certain government payments received in the second quarter of 2018 are not scheduled to be received until the third quarter of this year, simply due to calendar timing. All in, we expect second half 2019 cash flows will be meaningfully above last year's, most notably in the third quarter, with second quarter commensurately lower. We continue to expect double-digit percentage growth in cash flows from operations in 2019 to a range of $17.3 billion to $17.8 billion. We continue to put capital to work to build the business for the benefit of both society and our shareholders with a robust organic and inorganic growth agenda. We are currently active in each of the five growth pillars we previously detailed as we looked ahead 10 years and expect to grow and diversify our earning streams inside this focused, dedicated healthcare company. We also returned $3.9 billion to shareholders this quarter through dividend and share repurchase activity. And return on equity was strong at 26.8%, rising 300 basis points from one year ago. 
Looking forward, we entered the second quarter with strength, flexibility, and rising confidence in the positive impact we can have this year and far into the future. We continue to expect strong growth in adjusted net earnings in 2019 and have increased our outlook to a range of $14.50. That would bring our five cents per share. That would bring our one-year earnings growth rate to 13 to 15%, and our five- and 20-year compound earnings growth rates to approximately 20% per year. Dave? Thank you, John. Over the past 45 years, United Health Group has grown consistently through the full range of macroeconomic, healthcare, legislative, and policy conditions, adapting and adjusting to deliver value for all those we serve in every changing environment. That value is rising at an accelerated pace as we execute against our multidimensional growth agenda in healthcare delivery, pharmacy, digital, consumer responsive benefits, and global. These efforts, pursued at scale, position us uniquely as a te technology-enabled healthcare company, delivering distinctive results to our customers and to society. Taken together with our commitments to service, quality, and MPS, our investments in the coming wave of healthcare innovation, a movement we intend to lead, and our multi-year, multi-billion dollar effort to improve our medical and operating cost basis for the benefit of our customers, we expect sustained growth and performance for United Health Group this year, in 2020, and for many years beyond. Thank you. We will now take one question for caller, please. The floor is now open for questions. At this time, if you have a question or a comment, please press the star and one on your touchdown phone. You may remove yourself from the queue by pressing the pound key. We ask that you limit yourself to one question. If you ask multiple questions, we will only be answering the first question so that we can respond to everyone in the queue this morning. Our first question is coming from Peter Costa with Wells Fargo Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Good morning, and thank you for the Medicare for All discussion. Now, now it's your job to get the, your members and, and healthcare workers and, and employees to understand the same message that you gave to us. Um, moving on to the rebate structure, as drug rebates go away, can you tell us what that will do to margins in your PBM and to premiums in your healthcare plans? Sure. Uh, first, Peter, thank you for the acknowledgement uh, of the Medicare for All commentary. We will uh, definitely follow through and make sure that this is well understood because we think the options are clear um, between uh, a government-sponsored or government-run system and, and the one we have to offer. Uh, so we'll make sure we keep uh, moving in that direction. Um, Andrew, do you want to take the uh, pharmacy question? Sure. Uh, thanks, Dave. Uh, Peter, thanks for the question. I'm, I'd like to make just a couple of introductory comments and then ask uh, John Prince uh, to, to comment specifically on the margin element. Um, I think in terms of this whole rebate uh, conversation that's been going on, uh, there are really two elements to this that we need to keep a very close eye on. Uh, the first and most important of all of this is, is what is going to be the ongoing mechanism to ensure pricing discipline uh, for pharmaceutical products. As you well know, the only mechanism that exists today is essentially the volume that's aggregated by companies like OptumRx to be able to then negotiate effectively with pharmaceutical companies who otherwise would have complete independence on what they do with their list prices. Um, 
That's something which must not be lost in this set of conversations and discussions which are going on at this time. Um, there is a real risk um, that if there is a situation where rebates or a mechanism to replace rebates uh, was not in place, we could see significant drug price inflation uh, over the next years. Uh, that would set back a huge amount of the effort that's been achieved. Uh, the second part is, he said to your, to your question, I'll ask John to really uh, give you a little bit more detail, is obviously the migration for a company like OptumRx. And, and John has led a very successful strategy in First of all, diversifying the pharmacy services offering from OptumRx, and secondly, uh, moving into a, into a modern position of passing forward discounts at the point of sale to consumers. You've seen a lot of progress on passing forward discounts at the point of sale to consumers. You've seen a lot of progress uh, this quarter, and also developing the way in which we work with our customers to ensure that our uh, mechanism of compensation for the service we delivered uh, is less and less dependent on rebates, the vast majority of which we pass through to our customers. John, would you like to add any specific detail? Uh, sure, great, Andrew. Thank you. Uh, Peter, thanks for the question. It's John Prince, leading OptumRx. We've been working for years around transforming our pharmacy care services in two ways. One is expanding how we deliver value to our clients through our integrated medical behavioral pharmacy experience, which focuses on total cost of care and health outcomes. We've also been very focused on driving a transparent business model where more and more of our revenue is coming from administrative fees, value sharing mechanisms that align us with the consumer and the client's needs. So with that, with that context, we see over time minimal impact from our margins because if you look at the re rebate and the discounts that we, we manage, overall uh, rebates only exist on 7% of prescriptions. 90% of what we manage is generic um, with no rebates, 10% is drug. When you look at in the Medicare market today, uh, none of that value of what we manage from a discount rebate is uh, held by us. 100% is passed on to our clients and fully disclosed with CMS. 100% is passed clients and fully disclosed with CMS. 100% is passed on the Medicaid market within our total client base. 98% of our discounts are passed on to our clients. So when you look at an overall standpoint, we're driving that value and passing on to our client over time. That remaining 2% is a client choice in how they want to pay for our services. And so our belief is that over time, that remaining 2%, we would work with our clients to look for other alternatives for them to pay for our services, which we're actively encouraging uh, to uh, manage uh, how we get our paid for our services. Great. Uh, thank thank you, you, Peter. Next question, please. We'll take our next question from Dave Woodley with Jeffries. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thank you. Good morning. Um, on, on Medicaid, wondered if you could comment on the progress in, um, in, in fixing or, or improving the performance of, of the handful of markets that you've called out in prior calls, and in that context, maybe comment on your decision to exit Iowa. Thanks. Sure. We'll do, Dave. Uh, I'm, we're seeing nice progress in and uh, Medicaid um, year over year. Uh, we saw nice progress in the quarter, um, but I think I'll, I'll have Heather Ciamproco, our CEO of that business, uh, overview those for you. Sure, thank you. Thanks for the question, Dave. Heather Ciamproco, leading community and state. Um, so as you mentioned, yes, we highlighted that we had pressure in a handful of markets last year. Um, we continue to make progress, as uh, Dave Wickman noted. We saw this quarter some nice growth in our operating earnings year over year. 
And we also saw um, a couple of good wins. So you heard us talk about North Carolina, as well as our, as well as our Arizona Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities contract. We also saw strong DSNP growth. I'll tell you that with respect to that handful of markets, we've made, pro we've made progress in most of them, and we're working to improve our performance. Our performance still is not um, exactly where we expect it to be, and we'll continue to work on that through the year, and you can expect to see improvement there. But Iowa was one of those markets, and unfortunately, even though we put the same work into Iowa, there was a funding increase last year um, by the administration due to the systemic underfunding of that program over the years, the inability to catch up with what continued to be a medical cost pressure, and some really unique system uh, design elements of that program recognized across the industry. We were unable to make that a sustainable market for us and continue to deliver the high-quality services that we believe Iowans deserves from United Healthcare. So we did make the decision to exit that market. You'll see us exit um, Iowa. Um, unfortunately, by um, June 30th, um, we're proud of the services that uh, our employees predominantly um, have delivered in that market and the impact we think we've made with respect to the rest of the market members. But um, with respect to the rest of the market, we're continuing to make progress. We think we'll see improvement in some funding cycles that are they're upcoming over the next few months, and um, we're on track with our performance optimization. Great. Thank so, you. Dave, Dave, in summary, nice improvement uh, quarter over quarter, first quarter, a solid operating earnings growth um, despite negative impact of the HIF. Um, but I think it also should be said that we are still underperforming uh, in this business, um, and uh, it'll probably take us until 2020 to get to uh, our full performance expectation, which would be uh, performing at a margin somewhere in the 3 to 5% zone. Thank, Thank you, David. You. Next question, please. Our next question comes from Justin Link with Wolf Research. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, can you give us an update on progress with the government around the DMG acquisition and would also appreciate any commentary around management's decision to do about two-thirds of the full year share repo in the first quarter? Thanks. Sure. I'll take uh, DMG and then John Rex can take uh, share repo. Uh, so we're, we remain very excited um, about this opportunity to expand uh, geographic reach with DMG and to serve more people. Uh, it is a critical part of the strategy that we have around uh, reinventing healthcare delivery to access more markets and at the same time then uh, go much deeper into those markets uh, to make uh, them work more, much more effectively. Uh, at this stage, we have a clear path to approval and closing of the transaction, but uh, unfortunately, we cannot comment on uh, further details or timing at this stage. Uh, we're working through a couple of matters that uh, that remain. John, you want to touch on repo? Sure. Um, you know, the $3 billion of share repo that we uh, did in the quarter is against our 4 to $5 billion full-year outlook. Um, it is, you know, about the same percentage that we did in the year ago quarter. Also, we did 2.65 billion in the year ago 1Q. Um, so we also um, um, did a significant portion of our full of our full year in that 1Q. Um, certainly, um, you know, I would say that market conditions warranted that um, it was a look at this year in particular warranted that we accelerate our timing on share repurchase. Uh, we try to maintain um, good flexibility in terms of how we approach that uh, program. 
um, and also, you know, maintain good flexibility in our balance sheet overall. So really that was kind of, the, that was really, really the decision was premised on. Thank you. Thanks, Justin. Next question, please. Thanks. Our next question comes from Stephen Veliquette with Barclays. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Great. Thanks. Uh, good morning, everyone. So I have a high-level question on uh, Medicare Part D related to the uh, rebate proposal. I think when we spoke at our conference last month, you know, the view was that UNH and uh, other Part D players could prepare multiple uh, <clears throat> multiple bids to cover all the different uh, scenarios for 2020. Even now with the CMS guidance stating that uh, plan sponsors should bid on the, uh, the current status quo, but then we'll provide protection with this uh, demo program. Now the question is, I'm curious if you think this demo program is a uh, fair compromise for uh, Part D plan sponsors. Or does this make you have to perhaps uh, rethink your Part D bidding strategy for next year? Uh, thanks. Yeah, it certainly can be. Um, but Brian, you want to touch sure, on that, Brian you. Thompson? Hey, Stephen, Brian Thompson here. Uh, we certainly support the administration's efforts to lower drug costs for seniors. I do think that over the long term, this could provide um, lower pricing via better transparency. Uh, but we want to balance that, as you suggested, against premium increases here in the short term. Uh, for context, uh, if we exclude members today without any cost sharing, uh, we suggest that perhaps a third will benefit in the near term, leaving two-thirds perhaps worse off. As you had mentioned, timing right now remains uncertain, but CMS clarified uh, that bids should assume the current rules as they apply. Uh, and as you mentioned, CMS is providing some protections in the form of a risk corridor uh, that uh, plans that had lowered premiums with rebates will be able to apply, and we're certainly appreciative of that guidance. Uh, I will suggest that it won't fully mute an increase in member premiums, but will be helpful. Uh, we certainly intend to participate in that demonstration to the extent the new rule does impact our plans. Uh, I will say that I don't think the corridor protections are going to meaningfully change bid strategies or competitive behaviors. It's important to remember these are partial protections and they only apply uh, if the rule passes. Uh, passes. So uh, plans need to be disciplined in their pricing uh, regardless. I, I will just leave with a comment around its context. Uh, important to remember, uh, we're only talking about rebates uh, and where they apply. Uh, they've never been retained by plans, whether that's point of sale or in premium and when. Uh, so while there's certainly some uncertainty, we appreciate the additional clarity that we've received from CMS, uh, and we'll be ready to bid here uh, in early June like we always are. Yep. Steve, okay, so it, was a, it was a constructive uh, step forward, um, one that is born in the collaboration between uh, CMS uh, and the Part D carriers. And, uh, uh, we look forward to participating in the um, in the Part D program. Next okay, question, great. please. We'll take our next question from Frank Morgan with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Good morning. We'll stay on rebates. I'm just curious with regard to the recent announcement you made. Uh, any interest so far, or any color around what your current self-insured customer base, how that's being received, and. Uh, do you think that will in any way affect uh, new business when you go into 2020? Thanks. Uh, I think there's growing interest uh, broadly, but John uh, Prince, do you want to start with OptumRx? Uh, sure. Thanks, Frank. It's John Prince with OptumRx. I'd say, first of all, one, we are uh, pleased with why we, why we did it, because there's significant value from a consumer affordability standpoint. And so I think when you have conversations with customers and with other stakeholders, they're very interested in what is the impact of the discounts that we have negotiated on behalf of our clients and its material. So it's $130 of value per script, per eligible script, which is material. The, the uh, 
the value in terms of driving higher adherence. It's also important from a health outcome. So when we have conversations with our clients, they're very interested in our data and understand how it's impacted consumers. Uh, we've had very positive interactions and feedback on it. So I'd say when you look at the uh, health plan market, in addition to United Healthcare, we've had strong interest with our other uh, 45 health plans where a lot of them are actually looking at how they would incorporate that. And so I think there is strong interest in other clients that are in the health plan space to adopt it. When you look at the employer market, uh, there's strong interest in uh, new clients as well as uh, existing clients interested in how to phase that in over time. And remember, in terms of uh, what we announced, uh, this does not affect our 1120 selling season. Uh, this is required for everybody after 1120, so starting January 2nd, uh, 2020. So, a bottom line on that, Frank, was there's growing interest in the market. It's a little bit slower to adopt. Uh, we'd like to see faster adoption, um, and we are uh, clearly um, taking a position to, uh, to at least for certain plan designs, to make sure that uh, consumers are getting uh, those discounts applied at the point of sale, which we know improves adherence and uh, hopefully will improve their long-term health. Thank you for the question, Frank. Next question, please. Our next question comes from Kevin Fishbeck with Bank of America. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Great, thanks. Um, you know, the market seems to be concerned to some degree about, you know, margins, and I guess both maybe on the uh, managed care side and the PBM side after either go to point-of-sale rebates or, or move away from rebates entirely. So I just want to get maybe a little bit more color uh, from you about um, your experience so far in 2019 on the commercial risk side on the business that you moved over. I assume that the margin um, profile there is similar to what it was previously, but maybe just comment on that. And then as far as the PBM side, um, with these new contracts that you're talking about post-2020, I, I assume that the, the um, you know, confirm those two. Uh, points similar to your core business, but maybe just, um, you know, confirm those two uh, points. Yeah, Kevin, I think the, the most compelling part of the point-of-sale rebate application uh, in the commercial markets for United Healthcare, and I'll have Dan comment on this in a moment as well, but is the fact that per eligible script, we're saving consumers $130 per script, and we're seeing adherence rates as, as high as, as improvements as much as 16%. So the impact on society and the people we serve is probably the most compelling part uh, that I, I want to remain unnoticed. I think as it relates to the financial effects of it, it is fairly much, or pretty much in line with what our expectations were overall. But Dan, do you have any additional comments? That's right, Dave. Our, uh, yeah, our expectations on the outcomes for very much in keeping with, with what we thought going in. And the reality is, you know, it's a very meaningful impact for uh, the individuals that are taking high-cost specialty medications, as Dave mentioned, and, and there are very compelling savings for them. But when you look at it in the overall medical and pharmacy offering, uh, it's a more um, it's a more modest impact. And overall, it was it was a modest impact in part because I think there's this perception that um, that people are deeply exposed to um, price inflation and pharmacy and. And the reality is, is that most of the plan designs that exist in the market today still have uh, significant price protections in place, like a pharmacy copay, as an example. John, you want to broaden that out for Optimaric? Yeah, sure. Maybe just hit the overall point, which is the driving the point of sale rebates does not impact our bottom line so, or our economics. This is around 
uh, driving solutions that drive affordability to the consumers we serve, and that's why we're doing it. Uh, this is making sure that the value that we extract from the market actually goes to the consumers. And so I think that's, that's the core uh, element on it. Uh, we do believe that it's important to have mechanisms uh, like a discount that we negotiate with pharma manufacturers in order to control cost in outer years. So I think that's also left in this discussion is that there needs to be mechanisms that uh, check against price increases in future years. Thanks for the question, Kevin. Next question, please. Next question comes from Sarah James with Piper Jaffrey. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thank you. I was hoping that you could update us on some of the growth initiatives for Optum Care. Um, thinking about recent comments that you've made about maybe that business growing to multiples of the size that it is and growing from 30 markets to 75, how should we think about the mix of products um, that you want to target during that growth and the pacing, if it would be ratable growth over time um, or uh, if it's going to come in larger chunks due to a focus on M&A. Thanks. Andrew Whitty? Yeah, Sarah, thanks very much. Andrew Whitty, I'm, uh, in a second, I'm just going to uh, hand over uh, to uh, Dr. Wyatt Decker, who's a good opportunity for me to introduce to you. He's uh, just joined us from a the uh, senior leadership at Mayo Clinic Network in Arizona, and he's taken over as the uh, leader of our Optin Health business. Andrew Hayek is also here today, who's uh, now working uh, alongside me directly in identifying and building uh, some of the new growth platforms we anticipate within the Optum Health uh, portfolio. And that really speaks to, let me just make a very specific set of comments to your question, Sarah. Um, we see a wide range of growth opportunities within the Optum Health portfolio and with the Optum Cares portfolio specifically. That really ranges from building out the depth uh, in the major cities and conurbations where we already have presence, and you'll see in uh, continued efforts to fill in those networks and to develop um, essentially a coordinated network of care delivery in those, uh, those cities. That's something which you should expect to see on a kind of relentless, ongoing basis. Uh, but of course, we will also be looking at further extension of that, uh, that network across the country uh, through acquisition and elsewhere. And obviously, uh, when the DMG uh, uh, deal closes, that will be a significant expansion of that in that very, very direct way. Um, as Literally quarter by quarter, uh, I think we see more and more potential uh, for the ambulatory network that we're building across the Optum Care portfolio. And as I mentioned in my prepared remarks, um, the opening of our first uh, cancer care center in Las Vegas this quarter, I think is uh, just signaling of a direction of travel we want to follow. Uh, let me ask Wyatt, uh, Dr. Wyatt Decker, though, just to maybe add some specific thoughts uh, from his position. Wyatt? Thank you, Andrew and Sarah. Thank you for the question. It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning, and uh, I can't tell you how pleased I am to have joined United Health Group. I'm confident that there is no organization one. Uh, I would do trip healthcare than this one. Uh, I would just add that Optum Care's vision for care is to create the leading value-based, patient-centric, physician-led healthcare system in the United States, and we will do this through local markets where we can weave together the assets that Andrew has already touched on. And we will do this through organic growth of our, we're already in 36 markets. And if you include our MedExpress and ambulatory surgical centers, it would be 60 markets. We have 38,000 employed and affiliated physicians 
and this will continue to grow organically as well as inorganically. Uh, but most exciting is what happens when you bring together uh, a value-based reimbursement system with uh, a culture of commitment to patients and providers and layer on technology. And that's what we're committed to doing at, in OptumCare. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Next question, please. Our next question comes from Josh Mashkin with Nephron Research. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thanks. Uh, good morning, guys. Um, question really around just the broad risk membership segments, so commercial Medicare, Medicaid, and I know you don't typically update revenues or membership um, with the quarters, but I guess other than the obvious Iowa exit, um, you just the, broadly the, the risk membership numbers came in a little bit lower than we were expecting. Any changes to the outlook there, you know, by any of the segments or any color you can give in, you know, any of the individual areas? Joshua, we, we typically don't update those, particularly at, uh, this early in the year. Uh, but Steve Nelson, can you want to comment on growth overall and, and engage your, your team accordingly? Sure. Um, morning, Josh. Uh, thanks for the question. I, yeah, I, maybe just a few um, broad comments about United Healthcare overall and how we think about growth. Um, as you as you know, we we start with really strong market positions across all the businesses that you mentioned. Um, and have a history of, of growth uh, in those positions. And, and as I mentioned earlier in my comments that, that we're going to add, you know, over a million uh, medical members um, this year. And so, uh, you know, so, so great growth um, track record. But as we look forward, you know, we, our intention and our ambition is to continue to grow, grow those positions, particularly as we think about, um, some of the really strategic segments, such as uh, Medicare Advantage and dual special needs plans, where we have um, invested in capabilities and and um, really strengthened our product offerings and 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 some really innovative um, uh, uh, collaborations with Optum as well to to really um, position ourselves to grow there not only this year but um, continue to grow share as we look forward. Having said that, as you look across all the risks of uh, uh, different businesses, we, we are looking for long-term sustainable growth, and so we do remain disciplined in our pricing, and we're very intentional about where we grow and how we grow. Um, and then, you know, the really just, I'll just end by saying that the path for growth for us is, continued, is a continued focus on value. And um, the products that we offer need to be innovative, they need to be um, directed towards um, where the consumer needs our help. Um, we are very adamant about driving a better experience uh, while we lower the cost and improve the outcomes. Um, so we, we continue to be really uh, bullish and optimistic about our growth opportunities, uh, but we're going to be really thoughtful about it. And maybe I'd ask Dan to talk a little bit more about um, on the commercial full insured and some of the progress we're seeing there. Sure. Good morning, Josh. Uh, as it relates to the commercial risk-based enrollment, we, you know, we had expected declines in the first quarter, and that was largely driven by two uh, public sector clients. And so, similar to the enrollment pattern we experienced last year, we do expect to grow uh, over the remaining quarters of the year. And inside the results, I'll tell you, we are growing in some markets and segments that are uh, very important to us. And as Steve mentioned, we are very focused on increasing the value of our offerings, and we do that through a combination of some of the innovations you heard of earlier, 
deeper collaborations with uh, high-performing care providers, OptumCare as well as others, and also contributions from our multi-year, multi-billion dollar cost effort. So we feel well positioned. And then I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention that we're pleased with the results that we've driven on the self-funded side. We've had a very focused effort to return to growth, and we did that nicely in the first quarter. We grew strongly on an organic basis, and we also supplemented that with uh, some nice M&A as well. So overall well-positioned and, and feel good about it. Okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, thanks, Josh. Uh, next with J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning, gentlemen. I wanted to delve into the uh, MLR uh, just a little bit and uh, see if I could maybe roughly just tie out um, some numbers. So uh, MLR up about 60 basis points year over year. I think given the comments you made last um, a year ago quarter about flu contributing about um, a year ago quarter about flu contributing about 50 bips, it looks like uh, MLRs may be up 110 very in line with your guidance uh, for the full year, but it still looks better than what we would estimate. Um, health insurance fee might push that number up roughly 140, and then government growing faster than commercial might be another 25 bips or so. So it still looks like, if I'm right, you know, kind of an adjusted up 110 is still improving the real underlying trend, primarily excluding the HIF. And I just wanted to see if those numbers are sort of ballpark, and if so, you know, where are you seeing sort of the true underlying improvement? All right. Thanks, Gary. John Reck? Yeah, thanks, Gary. Uh, good morning. So I'd start with um, the medical care ratio in the quarter, you know, with, with in line with our expectations of some of your, uh, some of your observations that, uh, that, would, uh, that would create movement and such. Um, I would, um, you know, point out in the 1Q, one of the comments we made last quarter was around the workday content of, 1Q19 versus 1Q18 having some impact, uh, which is one of the reasons we wanted to um, create some um, create some uh, uh, awareness around that. Um, and that's just the you know calendar is fairly stable over a course of a year, but there are uh, differences in quarters, and uh, and so when you have that content, sometimes we would point that out. Um, so we had one fewer weekday in the um, in the out. Um, so we had one fewer weekday in the um, in the 1Q19 than 1Q18. Um, the opposite effect occurs in 3Q this year. Actually, we have one more day in the 3Q19 than 3Q18. Uh, so no annual impact. It's just the quarterly. Uh, it's just the quarterly timing how will that, how it flows across the year. And you know, so 1Q benefits, 3Q uh, gets that offsetting uh, that offsetting uh, weekday uh, content. That's where you expect it to fall. That's really it. One Great. clarification, if I could, since there's not much Medicaid growth this year, which is usually much higher MLR, is the gover is the MLR in the guidance for the year? No, I wouldn't call it material. Thank you. All right, thank you, Gary. Next question, please. We'll take our next question from Scott Fidel with Stevens. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, thanks. Uh, good morning. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, thanks. Uh, good morning. Just uh, interested in your early thoughts on the Medicare outlook now for 2020 in terms of sustaining uh, sort of the MA growth profile uh, now that we have the, the final rates uh, visibility and sort of assuming that the HIF comes back next year. So maybe sort of thinking about um, sort of how you, you view the rate outlook at this point on a net basis for 2020 on individual MA, uh, and then maybe an update on how the uh, group MA pipeline is uh, shaping up for 2020 as well. Brian Thompson. 
Sure. Thanks for the question, Scott. Uh, first off, we're pleased with our growth here through the first quarter in 2019 uh, and our positioning. As we have said before, we looked at 19 through the lens of long-term view, expectant of the potential headwind of the return of the tax in 2020. Uh, as we've seen the rates now, we're encouraged uh, by the rate improvement that we've seen since the advance notice, up about a point, uh, but still not enough to cover the expected return of the health insurance tax, and I think that'll be pressure point uh, industry-wide. But what I can say, 19 with a long-term view and expectant of this headwind, and uh, we're thoughtful and disciplined and intend to approach 2020 with the goal of keeping our benefits and our margins as stable as possible, uh, despite these headwinds, while at the same time driving continued growth like we have demonstrated now over the course of the last five to six years and improving our operating earnings overall. That's been the formula that we've executed again successfully and intend to do so again here in 2020. So optimistic about the outlook and our positioning here uh, ending the first quarter 19. Great. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Scott. Next question, please. Our next question comes from Steve Tunnell with Goldman Sachs. The line is open. Please go ahead. Morning, guys. Thanks for the question. We've covered a lot of ground. Uh, maybe just one on the uh, business combination announced today. If you could give us any color on that, maybe the revenue and earnings impact for the quarter and the year, and, and whether that was contemplated in the prior 19 guidance, that'd be helpful. Thank you. Uh, it's a very small acquisition, Steve. It's a, a, of an ASO-based business or a self-funded business. Um, about 630,000 lives, if I recall correctly. Um, uh, relatively small purchase price, nice uh, tuck-in acquisition, brings us a few new capabilities and technologies, but uh, uh, quite pleased to uh, align with uh, this company, uh, but relatively small and, and not really influencing our, our earnings expectations for the year. Perfect. Thanks. Next question, please. Next question comes from A.J. Rice with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Uh, hi, everybody. I just uh, thought I'd ask about the PBM selling season for 2020. I assume we're uh, well into that now. I think Andrew's comments uh, about some early uh, successes maybe flush that out. I guess there's two aspects to it I'd ask you about. you got more people that seem to be trying to pitch the synchronization strategies you guys have been doing for a while. Is that changing the dynamics of the selling season in any way? Uh, and then I know a few years ago the Health Transformation Alliance was a big discussion point. Those contracts sound like some of them may now be coming up for renewal. Is that present any challenges or opportunities for you? Andrew? AJ, thanks for the question. Just before I ask John to uh, comment more specifically about 2020, I, I think what we are seeing is uh, some of the benefits of a, of a very substantial amount of innovation around our um, offering design that John and his team have been developing, um, you know, partly in anticipation of change developing. Um, you know, partly in anticipation of changes in the policy environment that, you know, obviously have been touched on already in this, uh, this call conversation but also taking advantage of technology and, and other uh, levers that uh, have been brought uh, alongside uh, the, uh, the traditional core PBM of, uh, of uh, OptumRx. I think it's that combination of all of those things, really leaning into um, exploring value-based uh, propositions uh, and, and really being extremely dynamic in the way in which we start to bring to bear some of these different tools uh, it has created a, a very uh, competitive set of offerings. Uh, let me let me ask John just to describe to you how that's landing for us uh, this year and, and projected for next year. Great. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, AJ, it's John Prince. Uh, in terms of our 2020 selling season, it is still early, uh, but we have a very healthy pipeline of opportunities 
We've already had some really good wins for 2020. We've sold several large uh, health plans, a state, and a, a variety of large employers. Uh, two good examples that uh, of large wins already was the Harvard Pilgrim announcement in of our partnership in early January. Uh, they've selected us because of our partnership around total cost of care, clinical outcomes, consumer experience, uh, sort of resonating what Andrew Whitty just mentioned around our innovation around the consumer and, and clinical outcomes. Uh, another example of a good win for, for 2020 is with Health Trust and their division Core Trust. They selected OptumRx as their exclusive pharmacy care services provider to improve the performance of healthcare. Uh, we'll, we'll be their key strategic channel partner for health systems and Fortune 2000 companies. In the overall market, you asked around our value story. I think our value proposition is resonating in the market. Others might be now using the same vocabulary as we have, but we've been working at this for, for five years. We continue to modernize our offering, uh, continue to innovate around clinical outcomes, and also we continue to expand the services that we have to support unique uh, communities and, and partnerships, and I think that's also a differentiation for us in the market. Thank you. It's a great question. Uh, you know, that what you're seeing there is a uh, innovation in, in play, uh, starting with synchronization, but uh, really the development of a modern, much more modern pharmacy care services business uh, that uh, continues to stay ahead of the marketplace and is uh, really responding to the needs of uh, employers. Next question, please. Our next question comes from Anna Gupta with SVB Lyric. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hey, thanks. Good morning. Uh, my question was about uh, telehealth. I think I saw a uh, set of national TV ads on virtual health from United Healthcare. A uh, set of national TV ads on virtual health from United Healthcare. Uh, I was wondering if you could comment on what your strategy is. Is this mostly for urgent care, or, or is it also for longitudinal, you know, top health, chronic care management? Does that differ by peer mix, and uh, how are you preparing for the, the CMS inclusion of telehealth in, in the bundle? And then can you talk about um, how this dovetails with your Optum Care strategy of uh, MedExpress and employed uh, physicians in this, you know, if you're thinking any single vendor or multi-vendor contracts for anything? Thank you, Anna. Yeah, Anna, thanks so much for the question. Um, so I think telehealth is an interesting, you know, potential ingredient uh, for how we think about delivering improved outcome and value for uh, patients and, and, uh, and customers within our uh, Optum Cares environment. Uh, but I think really the, the central, so, so I think the really central part is to ensure that we have a really, really strong integrated physical engagement with patients as a core platform, clinical insights, very much empowered by information, clinical insights, um, and needs to be real-time. Uh, so that's very much where we're building. I think then, uh, wrapped around that, we envision uh, substantial portfolios of digital engagement and also uh, platforms such as telehealth. But I think, I think on their own, they have relatively limited uh, runway, frankly. I think as a component or as an ingredient of a much more comprehensive care delivery platform, which is what we envision, uh, clearly a role, um, but uh, very much alongside uh, what you're seeing us develop within the Optum Cares environment, very much patient-centric, very much focused on the best possible clinical outcome, 
focused on the best possible patient experience at the lowest possible cost. We think that is a strategy uh, which will require modern technologies, innovative technologies like telehealth, but it fundamentally will be built around a physician-led physical engagement with the patient. Please. Our next question comes from Lance Wilkes with Sanford Birdstein. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Yeah, I just had a question on medical cost trend and just general kind of uh, medical cost performance for the first quarter. Can you just talk a little bit about how it's tracking to the guidance that you guys have given? And in particular, are you seeing better than expected um, results on the pharmacy side? And if so, is anything else offsetting that? I assume you're referring to commercial, Lance? Yeah, I was thinking about your commercial medical cost trend uh, target of 6%. Dan? Sure. Good morning, Lance. Uh, I would tell you that uh, our medical costs in the quarter were very much – I would tell you that uh, our medical costs in the quarter were very much in line with our expectations uh, and on track as we look to uh, the full year. That's 6% plus or minus 50 basis points. Uh, frankly, I wouldn't call out anything as being um, um, different than, than what we had expected coming in. Great. Thank you, Lance. Next question, please. Our next, our next question comes from John Ransom with Raymond James. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi. Good morning. Um, we attempted to kill some trees last week and tease out some of the organic growth numbers from the acquired growth. The, the number that was kind of astounding to me, at least, was the we calculated a mid-teens organic growth at Optum Health, which, as you know, would be 3x the organic growth of any kind of standalone services provider that's tracked publicly. So I was wondering if you could just give us some help as to how you get to those numbers that are, frankly, 3x anything else we see out there in the standalone market. Thanks. Thanks for the question. It's a compelling growth platform, and it's uh, doing exactly what we had hoped and designed it to do. Andrew? Yeah, I mean, listen, John, thank, thanks so much for the question. I think what you're seeing within Optum Health is really a whole series of self-reinforcing, very complementary uh, growth drivers are all beginning to kick in together. And I think the leadership team, Andrew Hayek, leadership team now led by Dr. Wyatt Decker, I think deserve a lot of credit for bringing on stream uh, all of these various activities. Um, as, you, as you look across, you're seeing geographic growth. We're seeing uh, a greater shift of physician groups to value. We're seeing those physician groups deliver great quality of clinic, those, those practices more attractive. That's making that, uh, those, those practices more attractive for membership, clearly. Um, and as you think through, you can layer on lever after lever, and each of them kind of amplifies the growth velocity of the business. So, you know, we feel very good about the track record that this business is delivering. Honestly, I think we're still in the very early days of the evolution of the Optum Health and Optum Care business. You'll see substantial degrees of innovation over the next year or two. We've got significant ambition for layering on and developing the Rally platform, for example, alongside the Optum Cares platform. Um, and as you heard in the prepared remarks, um, things like the uh, Optum Care Cancer Center uh, begins to open up yet another dimension. And the work that Andrew Hayek is now uh, leading alongside me directly to look at further expansion points for the Optum Health, Optum Cares agenda. So, you know, early days, uh, we feel good about where we are so far, um, very clearly a function of many streams of work beginning to gear together very positively. 
Yeah, just expect us to continue to invest in this category. Um, and we're talking, you know, five to 10 years out to build uh, this health system on, on outcomes, quality, uh, and patient experience and costs, frankly, if, uh, delivering if, really if strong you, If you could permit me, a, if you could permit me a follow-up, how much of it is the move where a primary care doctor goes from getting five, 10 cents on the dollar to getting the full capitation dollar? Is that bigger than a mousetrap in terms of the overall growth or is that just a small piece of it? John, a, a key part, I mean, as you know, a key part of piece of it. John, a, a key part, I mean, as you know, a key part of the, the philosophy of how we're developing Optum Cares is exactly that journey. And, and we believe that's very important. We see repeatedly that that helps facilitate and free up physicians to make great decisions on behalf of their patients, ensure the best care is delivered at the best possible cost. Uh, so, yeah, that's a key part of the journey, and it's certainly a part of the philosophy of, of how we, uh, we run that, that set of uh, clinics, yeah. Thank you, John. Next you. question, please. We'll take our next question from Charles Ree with Cohen. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks. Hey, I just want to get a clarification, Dave, because there's some headlines that came across uh, regarding your comments earlier about the Medicaid business. Uh, I recall hearing earlier you saying that you expect to get your target margins by 2020, but uh, headlines are coming across saying uh, probably take till 2022. Can you just clarify what you had said earlier? Yeah, our, uh, our, our expectation is that we'll, we'll be in the zone of our target margins, probably closer to the bottom end of it uh, in 2020. Okay, thanks. And, you know, my, my question actually, if I could ask my question around uh, place a wee bit, you guys had mentioned, uh, not just you, but, you know, all the PBMs in general that, you know, point-of-sale rebates have been available uh, to the employer market for some time. It just, it just wasn't really an appetite for it. Uh, you guys are now making the decision to move ahead in the commercial market with this kind of strategy. Um, you know, does this potentially put you at risk here that employers aren't going to be still that attracted to this uh, type of model uh, as you move forward? Yeah, it's possible uh, that that would be the case. But, uh, you know, for situations where consumers are exposed to uh, high inflation on list prices of drugs, uh, we think it's important that, um, discounts are applied at the point of, of service, and so we we, uh, we believe that uh, that's the proper plan design. Again, where there's a high deductible health plan or there's other uh, benefit designs that leave uh, patients exposed. Uh, so again, uh, we're seeing as much as a 16% improvement uh, in adherence, and we believe the long-term uh, health effects for the people we serve. Uh, will be substantial as a result. So uh, we think we're doing the right thing for people, and if that means we uh, have to offer designs that are more restrictive, uh, we will. Next question, please. Next question comes from Zach Sopkic with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thanks. Um, to that last point, do you think the adherence uh, benefit and uh, improvement in cost that you're seeing in your commercial book is translatable to Medicare, or do you think you can get more leverage just given a general sicker population? Uh, theoretically, yes, we believe so. Uh, we'd like to see it prove out over time, but um, we'd probably expect the, uh, the benefits in the Medicare population to be more immediate than you might see in a, in a commercial population. Thanks for the question. Next question, please. Our next question comes from Steve Willoughby with Cleveland Research. Please go ahead. Your line is open. 
Good morning. Uh, just one point of clarification and then a question. Um, the point of clarification, just on the 2020 selling season comments, is there any way to quantify where you're thinking your positioning might be in terms of a net basis going in for next year on the PBM business? And, and then my question was just on duels, and if you could just provide a little bit more color on the, the importance of duels to your, to your growth, um, you know, what you're seeing so far this year and where you expect that to go over the rest of this year and next year. Thank you. Yeah, Steve, we're not, we're not going to comment on 2020 at this stage, um, but we can answer the duels question. Heather? Sure. So duels, you mean the dual special needs programs? As you know, United Healthcare has been um, in this space and growing um, and growing strong about over 30% of the market today. Why we uh, really invest in the dual special needs program is because we see that it's really the best for our consumers. It's a aligned benefits, care coordination that our members cannot get from Medicaid or Medicare alone, and often they get supplemental benefits on top of it. So as we continue to see alignment with states and the federal government to make this program even better, it's a place we're going to continue to invest. We had um, another strong year in 2018, as you know, the quarter, first quarter, we saw strong uh, growth in this again, and we think that's really our experience, our Medicaid footprint, our unique uh, uh, programs through Optum, like our health college program, and our strong brand and service to our dual special needs. So this will be an area you'll see us continue to invest, and we expect a strong growth again uh, this year in 2019. Thank you, Steve. Good question. Next question, please. We'll take our next question from Michael Newshell with Evercore ISI. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Uh, thanks. Uh, I'll slip in a quick one on the tax rate. Uh, it was close to the four-year guidance, but in the past, the first quarter has been lower due to stock comp expense timing. So is there any change in seasonality this year or any change to expectations for the four-year tax rate? John? Hey, Michael. John Rex. Um, <clears throat> no change in our full-year outlook, um, I would say, in terms of the uh, 1Q and uh, there was um, a little reduced impact uh, from uh, share-based exercise benefits that, you know, as you re realize that has impact, that's typically why the, um, why the 1Q trends lower than other qu quarters because there's more activity there. Um, and there was just um, the volume of exercise was just a little bit lighter, and that's probably likely due to share price fluctuations. But that was it. Thank you, Thanks. Michael. Are there any questions remaining? We have one question remaining on the line. Okay. From Matthew Borsch with BMO. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Matt? Matt, you may be on mute. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Dave. I'm sorry. No <laughs> I was problem. on mute. And, and I'll, I'll make this quick. You've been very, very patient going through uh, all the questions. Um, just, just curious to ask, uh, at, at this stage of the game, are you concerned that you'll be loading a lot on price going into 2020, and clearly the industry fee, assuming that comes back, is, is going to be, uh, you know, something that was out of pricing, that's going to come back into pricing in 2020. But you've also got maybe uh, something to add on to pricing with the PBM change, or, or maybe not to, to your pricing, but, but the employers do effectively. If they're not using the rebate to reduce uh, employee-side premiums, um, is that uh, is that going to be a factor as you're going into next year? Matt, good question. Uh, I think, as you know, we're already have converted the, or we're in process of converting the 8 million fully insured commercialized 
to move uh, to point-of-sale rebates. So that, that, that consideration has already played out for the most part uh, overall. I think Ryan talked earlier about uh, how he's positioned a multi-year strategy and a uh, very um, important commentary from him about uh, maintaining benefit stability and maintaining margins through the 2020 time period here, recognizing that there's a, uh, you know, some uh, friction on uh, rising cost structures overall. You know, so, and, and I don't really see uh, meaningful impact on our self-funded um, market either from the um, modification that we made on point of sale uh, and announced earlier this year. The thing I am concerned about is the return of the health insurance tax in 2020. Um, that will increase the cost of health care by at least $20 billion uh, for 142 million people. And if you do the math on that, that increased MA premiums for a senior couple by $500 and for families with small business coverage by about the same amount. And that outcome uh, from our standpoint is entirely unacceptable. Uh, healthcare already costs too much and these unnecessary taxes layered on top of uh, what is already a uh, high cost uh, health system is, um, is just untenable. So um, we're gonna continue to pursue a deferral, if not an outright repeal, on behalf of those we serve, we can't comment on or speculate on the outcome at this stage. We're, we're operating as if the law is the law and that there is no deferral, but we certainly hope and will continue to advocate aggressively uh, on behalf of the consumers we serve uh, to keep these health care costs in check. Thanks for Great. the question, Matt. Thank you. Is that it in the queue? There are no further questions in the queue. Okay, great. Well, thank you. Uh, to sum up our discussion today, United Health Group began 2019 with strong operational and financial performance from both Optum and United Healthcare. We achieved this robust performance by increasing the healthcare value we deliver to people every day, providing more affordable, higher quality healthcare while improving patient and care provider satisfaction. As an innovative technology-enabled healthcare company, the value we offer society is rising at an accelerating pace. In turn, we expect to continue to grow, serving more people in more ways across the U.S. and worldwide. Thank you for joining us. This concludes our call. This does conclude today's program. Thank you for your